2020. You imagine the marketers and all the ones who are, are, are excited about this 2020 coming up and being able to utilize it with a vision for 2020. Uh, that, uh, that, that concept of being able to use 2020 for our uh, vision for this new year. And I think of the pastors who probably uh, uh, just uh, avoided the temptation to use the, the uh, idea of being able to see well with the message today. But I can say because I'm a guest speaker, I get by with it. And I took on that opportunity to talk about vision. And besides, you know, vision... It's a big thing. Uh, I found out from a reliable source, Google, that 75% of people wear some form of corrective uh, lenses to be, able to, uh, to be able to see, and that, uh, quite frankly, uh, more than half the women, but less than half the men. Now, I'm wondering why that is. Uh, it might be that the men haven't come to a place where they realized uh, that they uh, uh, needed some corrective lenses. Some guys are pretty well convinced they they just need longer arms, uh, and then they'll be able to uh, see what they need to see. Uh, but as I think about when I first realized that I needed glasses, goes back to the summer after my freshman year in college. I didn't travel much uh, when I was a young person, so I didn't have to go on very many trips. But that particular summer, a good friend of mine uh, decided to marry a girl from uh, Brazil, Indiana, and so in order for me to be a part of the wedding, I had to drive to get there. And I realized on the way there that the less than 1,000-mile round trip ended up being a lot more than a 1,000-mile round trip. Not because I intentionally took some scenic routes, but because I was having difficulty seeing the signs that would tell me when it was time to turn. Of course, you go back that long ago, there was no GPS or anything, so it was basically you were dependent upon figuring out where the turn was yourself rather than someone telling you off your dash. And uh, as a result, I thought, I'm going to have to do something about this. So what I did is I went into the, the doctor to get an idea of what my eyes would be, and after all the little tests of, does this one look better, does this one look better, you know that drill, uh, they concluded that I have... 2400 vision. Okay? Okay, some of you are doing that because you know what that means. Uh, I didn't know what that means, so I said, What exactly does that mean? It says, Well, basically, Scott, you can see 20 feet, what a normal person can see at 400 feet. Well, no wonder I was like this and like, That's the turn. Whoops, okay, uh, type of a situation. So, what I'm going to be looking at for us today is the importance of having a good vision, not for 2020 but a good vision in 2020, of being able to see how that we can look at things from God's perspective, regardless of what type of experience we're having. I'm going to address three different experiences from the text that we'll be looking at, the experience of the mundane, the experience of the messy, and the experience of the marvelous. I'd like us to look at our text today and to be able to uh, uh, look at the vision Okay, the vision of the Jesus in the temple, and if you want to follow along with me in the, in the scriptures, uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 39, 
uh, we will be looking at this, this experience that takes place after what you've been studying uh, the last few weeks, the birth of Christ. And this becomes that time after Jesus was, uh, uh, all the miraculous that took place, we'll be looking at this one element, uh, which is called, uh, by a variety of names, it's actually called the third of the seven sorrows of Mary uh, in history. And uh, it has been, as this picture is portrayed by Rembrandt, of a time when Jesus was in the temple uh, sharing with those scholars about things of the Word. But let's look and see what heads up to this. What, what, is, what is God telling us about this situation uh, in, in, uh, that takes place here? He says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town, Nazareth. Now, it's interesting to uh, get an idea. This is kind of after the dust settles. Very appropriate for us after we've had this busy uh, holiday time, a lot of travel, a lot of entertaining. Uh, if you've had some sickness in your home, and you're kind of looking for the dust to settle and for things to change. And as you've uh, been able to learn from Pastor Matt as he went through the series on the birth of Christ, a lot of miraculous things took place. And now we're dealing with this uh, time that is after that. Matthew says it this way, he says, An angel of the Lord, this is after Herod had died, uh, appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Uh, he was afraid to go there, in other words, because uh, the descendants of, of Herod were still there. So instead of going there, he, uh, he was afraid to go there, and he was being warned in a dream, so he goes to live in the city called Nazareth, uh, so what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Nazareth was one of these places that, uh, for the most part, uh, ne not necessarily the most special place to be from. You might remember the, the comment by Nathan, Nathaniel when he was told that Jesus was here, he could be the Messiah, and Nathaniel says, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? And I'm just wondering what were in the mindsets of the individuals who were thinking through Jesus the Nazarene and the fact that he came from this place that was no big glamour, it wasn't a place of, uh, of, of exceptionalism, and that he would be going into what I would call uh, an area of mundane. And as we look at our lives, 2020 is going to involve some times of mundane. For Mary and Joseph, it went from having an angel appear to you or an angel uh, come to you when you're sleeping and talk with you, uh, moving from one place to another and being dictated by all these, uh, uh, these messages from these angels to going to Nazareth and just being obedient to God and going through the day-to-day -day things. It may have been still a busy schedule, might have been many things to build in the carpentry, might have been things to go. It wasn't that they just sat back and did nothing, but it was very regular and very mundane. Paul Tripp says this, he says, change typically takes place in 10,000 little moments, not one life-altering event. The little moments of life are profoundly important precisely because they are, indeed, the little moments. Change the, uh, we live most of our existence in these mundane, everyday moments. For every substantial life-changing moment, we experience 10,000 insignificant moments. 
And I've appreciated the writings of uh, Paul Tripp as, a, as an author and as a, as a speaker. He has a way of being able to look at things from a perspective that helps us see clearly those things that we're wrestling with. And as I've counseled individuals, they struggle with the mundane. They struggle with the things that are going on on a regular basis. And they wonder, when will things get different? And for some, maybe as you look at 2020, you're looking at it from a perspective that you're hoping it's a lot different than 2019. That you're hoping that there's some things that will take place that weren't able to come together in 2019. You're anticipating that possibly uh, you're going to do something fantastic or something great is going to happen, or there's something that you can log in for the 2020, uh, the 2020 newsletter that you're going to, to send out. And as I think of what Mary and Joseph must have went through as they were, were considering what the angels told them to do, to go into this land of Nazareth and just pick up on these, these times that Life was now going to be different. Just recount what it was for them. You know, Mary and Joseph were in the mundane at one point. They were all excited about uh, the times when they would be able to be together as, as husband and wife and all those type of things. And then an angel showed up. And then Mary's life got turned upside down and things were different. And then from there, Joseph has a, a visit from a dream. Next thing they know, they're going to Bethlehem. Next thing they know, they're going to, to Egypt. Uh, all these things are happening. And now they're just sent to Nazareth. And if you know your scriptures, you know that nothing else happens there for maybe 10 or 11 years. There's a whole decade where nothing is mentioned as to what goes on in the life of Jesus. It just basically says it this. It says, the, uh, it says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as according to custom. That during that time, all they did was continue to do what people do when they're in the mundane is you'll be obedient to the word, to continue to trust in him, and to uh, accept the fact that God does change us and does do things in this time of the mundane. I can't imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph as they uh, go from the, the time with Simeon, the time with Anna, and they're going off into this Nazareth area, and now they're going to raise this child. What would that entail? They don't come home with a, uh, uh, instructions on how you should take care of this child, uh, let alone how do you take care of the child who is said to be the Son of God, and, and imagining what life would be. Are there going to be more fantastic, marvelous things that would take place? And as far as we know from Scripture, there are none. Until we get to this place where they're going on again, what I would say was somewhat of a mundane event, even though it was filled with activity, going off to Jerusalem, that it was part of their custom. They went up every year. This would be the 12th year of, of Jesus' life here on earth. And it was significant because at age 13, things would change. At age 13, he would then be required to go to this feast. It's one of three feasts that every adult male was required to go to. I don't know if, uh, if Jesus went to ones prior to this, but I do know that he came to this one, and it was the custom of Mary and Joseph to go to the feast on an annual basis, 
But here's where we pick up this story, this time of gap, a decade of mundane, a decade of not knowing really what God was doing in the situation. And so at, uh, at 12 years old, and I don't know if you've thought about this, if I were to go back over my adulthood and think about my life and be sitting around the table, imagine with me, you're with your table and everyone's talking about the highlight times of their life and uh, you're there with parents and such and the mom says, uh, Scott, you remember when you were 12 years old? And I'd be like, all of a sudden, shock would go over my mind as I think about what story is my mom going to give about me as a 12-year-old. Now, no offense to 12-year-olds, but be honest, in my day, that was not my heyday. Okay, at 12 years old, I was kind of stuck in the middle of some transition times that were a little beyond my comprehension and abilities, and it would not be a time that I would like to look at as being, that was my finest moment at, uh, at age 12. But yet, between zero, basically, and 30, the only event, other than the ones just uh, about the birth of Christ, that we have recorded is Jesus at age 12. Isn't that amazing to think about? That, that God has chosen to take that one little uh, element of his life and bring it to our attention. Uh, as we consider, really, what is happening here, that uh, they were going to this feast, and it says this, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know about it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Now, if you can imagine what that was like, they uh, had gone up about 60, 70 miles from where they were in Nazareth up to Jerusalem, had a few days while they were there in the celebration, the feast of the and being able to go through that time together. They traveled as families. They did this for a reason, because it was safer, uh, because it was a holiday time. It seems that not only do good people celebrate uh, the holiday times, but bad people want to take advantage of those holiday times. So they would uh, be around on those places where people might be traveling, so they could take advantage of those that might be vulnerable. Uh, So they are out a day's journey. They're a day's journey out in this uh, uh, family situation. Bear in mind, uh, Mary and Joseph would have younger children as well. Jesus was their firstborn, but it says they had children after. So they had a lot of things to preoccupy them. But, so before you, you get too judgmental of, uh, of, of Mary and Joseph at this particular point, but, but now knowing where uh, their uh, son is, there's a good possibility. He was just with others that might be around his same age with their family and travel. And we've... You've done that before, I'm sure, as you've traveled and you, you, know, you get in cars and then you go and you show up someplace and, and you find out one of your kids is not in there uh, because you thought they went with somebody else and you find out that they're not there and uh, you have to go back and get them or wait a little while. No, uh, But uh, the idea is that uh, that can happen. And this is what happened to them. They're out for a whole day, probably bedding down, time to get everyone safe. It's going to be dark. All right, where's Jesus? Is he with you? No, maybe he's with them. Maybe these cousins or whatever might be, and he wasn't there. So life went very quickly from the mundane at that particular point into what I would call the messy. And that's, that's the same for us often, where we might have a time where we're going through, and we might have a very busy schedule, and we might have things that we have put into place, and we're following along, and we're doing, and we're doing, and, and even if it might be a big event, it's still a part of our plan, then all of a sudden something hits that throws us off our regular plan. Mary and Joseph had not anticipated the fact that their, their timeline was going to be t- thrown off 
by at least a whole other day. They had gotten all the way, you know, one day into their probably two-day journey back home and had to come to a solution. And the only solution that was there is to go back and try to find him. There was no way of being able to call ahead or, or check or anything along the line. They had to physically be there. And I don't know if you can imagine what the trip back might have been like. Not only were they going to have to go back up the hill towards Jerusalem, but they were going to have to backtrack over what they've done, which for anyone who has missed their turn, uh, going back is a hard thing to do, right? <laughs> that, that, that we want to, to avoid turning around at all costs. Uh, so that going back represents, but the, the, the most important thing is we're missing someone. And something could have happened. And so all along the way back, it could have been anything from just looking to see if we see any kind of trace of Jesus along the way. Can we see uh, anything that might belong to him? So it was not a casual one day back to go back and see. It was very anxious. And a lot of intensity was taking place in the life of both Mary and Joseph and probably their family and friends. Wondered what happened to Jesus and this is not unlike what we run through. There are some things, maybe, maybe it's not losing a child uh, in that type of fashion. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a situation with your health or a situation with your job or your finances or a relationship type uh, situation where, where Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the things uh, bring up these relational issues that we have with families and, and, and such. And so as a result, we might have those things that got quite messy over the last few weeks as we tried to navigate that time. And we have to ask the question is, what was our vision during the messy? What did we look to? I fear that during the mundane, we can get so used to things going on normal that we can get to the place we don't think we need God. We don't need the, uh, uh, the encouragement from God, the direction from God. We got it all figured out. And in, during the mundane, we can be guilty of not seeing God because we're so content. But during the messy, we can be guilty of not seeing God because we're so overwhelmed with what is happening uh, in, the, in the situations that are around us. And so in each of these cases, our vision could be very blurred and out of focus as to what God might be doing. And you can imagine the type of stress that losing uh, Jesus might have had on Mary and Joseph because they had no idea how to fix this situation. And up to this point, when it came to one of those things outside the mundane, God usually came to Joseph in a dream, you know, to give him some instructions. Do we stay in Bethlehem? No, you go to Egypt. Do we stay in Egypt? No, you go to, uh, back to Jerusalem. Do we stay in Jerusalem? No, do we go back to, uh, to Nazareth? And, and all these things are are. are or what their history has been. But 10 years has gone by. And I, I'm wondering, and I, this is my thought, I'm thinking that, can I imagine what, uh, what Mary's saying to Joseph? Joseph, just, just go to sleep, and God will probably come to you in a dream, okay? And we can figure this out, and we'll know where Jesus is. Or you can imagine the idea of thinking, uh, you know, flashing back to realizing the, the great responsibility that God had given to them to raise the Son of God, and for them to sit there and say, we had one job to do. You know, and we lost God. And we chuckle about that and think, well, how, how do I? But we do that even in our own lives, is that we know the scriptures. We know the promises of God. 
We know what he has said about, but in the time of the messy, we get so distracted with our emotions being overwhelmed, whether it be fear or angry, anger, or, uh, or whatever it might be. And I can only imagine the temptation to point the finger at the other person. If you'd only been more observant, if you'd only kept an eye on Jesus, and how that all these things could have been a part of that one-day trip all the way back to Jerusalem. What types of things do we struggle with when we're in the messy? What kind of things do we see about God? What do we see about ourselves? And what do we see about others? How is our focus in those situations? Are we capable of recognizing that God not only uses the mundane to help us grow, but God also uses the messy to help us grow? To recognize that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials because we know that the trying or the testing of this faith can help us produce patience? Do we know that God's ultimate plan is to conform us to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that those things, whether they might be mundane or whether they might be messy, are designed to bring us into that situation? It says, but when then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him after three days. Scholars will differ whether that's after three days or on the third day. But the reality is they have had the day of total ignorance that they had a problem. And that's always hard, too. When all of a sudden you wake up and realize, for a whole day, we've been missing Jesus for a whole day. Now we have a whole day of going back. And if it is a full number, another three days, that this is what is hanging on the hearts of these dear parents as they walk into the temple. And in that temple, as we see from Luke 2, 42, is, uh, is this. They, uh, they see this, the marvelous, or you could call it the miraculous, is that as they walk in, they see this. After three days, they found him. <laughs> They finally found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That in this situation, we have the word really amazed used two different times from two different Greek words as Luke is giving a perspective of really an astonishment that's taking place by the scholars, an astonishment that is taking place with the parents. But as we look at what these scholars were dealing with, now it is very possible that if Jesus stayed behind in the temple, this might have been at least the second day and possibly third day of this going on. That it wasn't just a situation that Jesus got up and asked questions and waxed eloquently for 15 minutes. You're talking about a possibility that this is something that scholars who have made their living studying the scriptures and being experts of the law are sitting there with a 12-year-old who is asking questions that just blows their minds. That, that the, the Greek word has the concept of pushing them off their position. In other words, that kind of a, the security that they had in their own understanding of the law, etc., was being challenged by a 12-year-old boy who was able to look at the, uh, the, the truths of the Scriptures in light of reality. Probably because he was God. And he would understand 
what the, what the scriptures were. So they were astonished. The scholars probably had the opportunity to go home after one day of that and really think it through, look back through scrolls, all this kind of stuff, and to be able to come back maybe even uh, interested in trying to figure out a way to trip this young man up. But we don't know all those details. All we know is it says that they were amazed. They were thrown off their solid position by what they saw and what they heard. They were experiencing the marvelous or the miraculous, and they could not wrap their heads around it. Okay, And that's where the situation that might be. Now, go from the scholars and now go to the parents. And it says, when the parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, you would think that would be uh, astonished, might be the same way, going, whoa, that's our son amongst the scholars. Can you see what he's doing? Wow, that is great. No, it wasn't that kind of astonishment. It was kind of like shocked. It was kind of that idea of just being, being hit or punched and to be able to see him in there. And, and as a result, they have all the emotions coming together and, and Mary kind of betrays really what is on her heart as she says this. And she said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The word distress is, is almost like the word of being totally tortured, okay? And I can understand that. If you've ever lost something or someone or you've done something and you have great fear as to how it's going to turn out, it is a very torturous thing. And if you think about the, the amount of time that they went through, it was a torturous thing. But as you can see, Mary is expressing the heart of someone who is a, has been through the messy and they're experiencing the marvelous, but they still haven't gotten the messy out of their system, right? Because all she can think of right there and say and say, and this is what we have been raising this child to do. This is what the angel meant a decade ago. She could only think about what had just happened in the last few days. Are we guilty of that sometimes? Where God is wanting us to see the marvelous, but instead of seeing the marvelous, we can only focus on the messy? And all we can do is ask the question, why God? Why have you allowed this to be this way or that or whatever? And as a result, we are, are showing the fact that our vision is off. That we're not seeing God for who he should be. That the mundane possibly, the mundane possibly has interfered with the uh, with our lives so that when we go through the messy, we're not seeing the marvelous as we should. For some of us, the marvelous is, uh, uh, goes back to the, the great mirac- miracle when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior. And we might be going back decades for some of us in regard to that. But you know, if we are not looking for the miraculous and the marvelous and what God is doing in our life on a regular basis tagging back a decade or two or three uh, keeps us from being able to really have the proper vision of God. The greatest thing to happen in our life uh, is, in in a sense, when we come to know Christ as our Savior. But there should be other events of amazement, of amazing things, of marvelous things that God is doing in our lives. So that when people ask us about our lives, we have those experiences that we can talk about. And so that when we go through the messy and we see God doing something, we're not caught up on the circumstances. We're not caught up on saying, why God? Why did you allow us to be tormented through this time? Why did you allow us to experience 
these, these things. And Jesus does this. And some would, would say this was not very good for a 12-year-old to say back to his mother. And uh, in that, Jesus never sinned. I would have to say this, that what he said was, was more of, of a loving, gentle reminder. Because you, you can see the tension here. I mean, Mary is not only his mother, but he's all, she's also his creation, right? Uh, he, he's created Mary. And so you got that tension there. We, we, we as parents don't have that now, uh, even though some kids might try to convince us of that. But no, we, we, there's, there's a clearer role in that, in that situation. But here we have Jesus said, he said, why were you looking for me? In other words, he's letting them know, first of all, a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the uh, torment and, and, uh, is self-inflicted. And you realize that's true of us many times too? There are times when we look at the circumstances and we look at situations and, and maybe this individual has done this or that and we're so prone to want to look and say, if you'd only not done this or that, then I wouldn't have had this or that. But I think Jesus brings us into perspective is you didn't really have to experience all that torment because God has given you a solution. God has uh, uh, given you some, uh, some truths that you can hang on. And I think he's just gently reminding them of those truths that, that the God who was able to uh, do all the miraculous things that were found in the earlier part of Luke and of Matthew that, that described the birth of Christ. The same God was going to be the God who would have taken care of their 12-year-old uh, when they were, uh, couldn't find him. And so Jesus is reminding them of that. And uh, he also he says this, Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? That... That there was good. Did you not expect this time to take place? Did you not realize when you signed on to this that, that ultimately something like this would happen? And uh, I guess the question would be, when you've gone through the mundane and the messy and you're, you're, you're experiencing a marvelous uh, experience and you're looking, you're trying to figure it all out, uh, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're going through some challenging times and you look at God and you say, Why? And uh, maybe God would ask, did you, did you, did you forget the, what you signed on for? Did you forget what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Did you forget what it's like to, to be willing to align your life up with what God has planned for you? And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's just reminding Mary of the wonderful truths, of the wonderful things that uh, God had promised her. And he said, they did not understand the saying that they spoke to them. <laughs> That's probably typical of us at times, right? We just don't really get it. But what Mary does here is that it says that she goes on and uh, she thinks through these things in her life. And she, she meditates on this. And she allows these thoughts to go through her head. And as I, as I look at these three realms where we find ourselves needing to check our vision, whether it be the mundane, the messy, or the marvelous, that in each of those we need to bear in mind the maturation process. That all of this is about helping us grow to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Helping us to be the disciples that we have intended to be. The verses here is, He went down with them and came to Nazareth, 
and was submissive to them. I've thought about this, and maybe you have as well. Can you imagine what went through those scholars' minds as they saw what Jesus was able to do at 12 years old? Here we have a prodigy. Uh, what, what happens if you see this young person who's able to play a musical instrument beyond their age and such? Someone wants to grab onto that and say, we can do something with that. This person could be famous. And I wonder how many of the scholars thought at that particular time, if we had our hands on this, imagine, imagine what this young man could become with his knowledge and his ability to do this. He could be the greatest of all. But it doesn't say that happened. That he just simply left that and he went and put himself underneath his parents. And we don't know what happens over the next 20 years. But it's, it's interesting to think. When you look at the Gospels, 95% of the Gospels will pick up from what's next. Only 5% is of the birth of Christ. And then you have this little narrow window of this one week, if you would, in the life of Jesus and seeing how the, the perspective is there and how that in this situation, Mary treasures this up in her heart and she thinks through all these things and wonders, what is it that God is actually doing here? The next passage is important for us as we look at this growth element as it says this about Jesus. He says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. This verse comes up, this, this concept comes up earlier in verse 40, where he says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And I was thinking that maybe the word grew and the, the word increased were the same, or maybe even the word grew and became strong were the same, but they're not. In, in a sense, when you look at verse 40, it's more of just something that took place. But when you look at verse 52, the word used there for increased comes from a, a concept of something that's extended out, almost as a blacksmith is hammering on something and beating it out to where it is becoming more of a useful tool. Now, I don't know anything about that, but, if, but I think about it, I, I served as a, uh, uh, in a pizza place for a while, and I think of taking the dough and just kind of moving it out and all that pressure, et cetera, that helps, you know, cover the pan. That's the, that's the visual I get. And when I think of my growth, it's more intentional. It's that, re, you know, that, that intentional striking of my life in these particular areas, and, and Jesus uh, grew in four different areas. And as I take this application for 2020, for the new year, when we, maybe we've come through 2019, we said, I want to be better in 2020. Uh, a good application would be just simply look at the four areas that the Gospels record that Jesus grew. Now, in stature, we're not really going to be working very hard on that one, but are there some things in our physical elements that God is calling to us to be better stewards of? And the second thing is that he grew... Uh, in his wisdom and his knowledge. And what kind of plan do we have going into 2020 to increase our vision of who God really is and how we should respond in the mundane, in the messy, in the marvelous? Are we, are we have a plan to take more in of the scriptures to help us be sharpened in that area. And then the third area is in the favor with God and the favor with men. Our spiritual goals, uh, and, I, and I think it's, appropriate that those two words are kind of put in together favor of God and man 
because we tend to want to isolate them out, compartmentalize and say, I am going to have my spiritual life and then I have my relationships here and not realize that they kind of go together. That the goal is not if I can isolate myself from people who will, will distract me from God, then I'll be good. The point of becoming more like God is spending time with other people and increasing that area of my relationship with others. Keep focused. And as we think about the focus and how it works with the, the mundane, the messy, and the marvelous, that it's all about our maturing through that process. It's about us being able to, whether it's in that time of the mundane, recognizing that we still need to be faithfully looking for those little moments of growth and seeking God to help us in that situation. Whether it's in the messy, that we not get caught up with the circumstances and miss who God is in that particular situation, or even in the marvelous, that we might be able to see really what God's doing, that we not be so caught up with what we went through in the messy that we fail to see the marvelous that God is doing. Father, as I, as I bring us together and, and close and we transition to spend some time reflecting on you uh, through the communion, and we think about what is designed about the communion is causing us to remember. And I would say we are very tempted during the mundane to forget, caught up with the things that we are planning out. Uh, I think that in the times of the messy, we're, we're prone to forget who you are. And even in times of marvelous, we're, we're not really seeing why are you doing what you're doing and, and what is the significance of me aligning myself up underneath you. And Father, as we partake today, that you indeed would be the one that would uh, uh, help us remember that which would help us to uh, be better children of yours. So that as your child, uh, we can be a better spouse, a better parent, a better child, a better laborer, a better church member. That we would be remembering that which helps us to be able to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.